When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for football, hockey, and basketball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 6 6- Five one four three six one one two zero, or visit TicketKingOnline.com. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present bonus chatter. Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of fifteen hundred ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. I'm joined by Judd Zolgat of 1500 ESPN's Mackie and Judd Morning Show. And this evening on Sunday night, we're going to go over the Vikings' decisive 38-17 win over the Chicago Bears. They're back on track and uh, just maybe 1% away from clinching a playoff berth. Judd, first off, we'll get to... Teddy Bridgewater, who is on fire mm. lately, had another great game uh, mm-hmm. following his career-high outing in Arizona. We'll get to whether or not that's due to Teddy Bridgewater, Norv Turner changing up the play calling, how they've used Adrian Peterson. And then we want to delve, obviously, into the defensive effort today. They harassed Jay Cutler, five sacks, six pass deflections. The defensive line, even without Linval Joseph, without Anthony Barr back there, without Harrison Smith back there, they've been able to get things done. We'll get to that. Then we'll get into a little Adrian Peterson, Jarek McKinnon dynamic on offense and what they have going on there. But first, Judd, I think we have to start with Mr. Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater, obviously the uh, critics sounded pretty loud, including us on this own podcast after he threw for a career-low 118 yards against the Seattle Seahawks. That was just two weeks ago, but it seemed like it was two months ago with everything that's happened in these last two games. What do you think deserves the most credit, Teddy Bridgewater or Norv Turner, for maybe changing up a little bit of the play calling here in these last two games? Well, I think Norv deserves credit for uh, for finding a way to it best possible to marry Peterson and Bridgewater together so that they both can have some success at the same time. That being said, to me, uh, 92% of the credit here has to go to the quarterback because without him executing the game plans, they don't win. And, you know, the game last week against Arizona was impressive. I think Bridgewater's performance got sort of buried because that last play on which he was sacked and then stripped and fumbled was such a big deal. And that was a huge talker, I get it. But if you looked at that performance, career high in passing yards in that game, 
that was a nice bounce back game from a Seattle game that was terrible. And then today against Chicago, uh, the Bears aren't good, but they were second in the NFL, Andrew, in passing defense, yards allowed coming into this game. And so you're thinking to yourself, okay, the Vikings are going to win this game, but they're going to have to do it with Peterson running the ball, and then you're going to try and repeat what the Vikings did early in their season and wins, which is get a couple passes here and there, right? Well, they didn't do that. Peterson gets hurt in this game. Bridgewater played incredibly well, what, four passing touchdowns and uh, five total and touchdowns. one rushing yep. touchdown. Yep. So I give Norv credit for adjusting, and the adjustments are probably very important. But that being said, without Bridgewater bouncing back from – and it wasn't – the Seattle game was really bad, but – don't forget, too, he was just wildly inconsistent, too, at times. I mean, this isn't – if this had been one or two bad yeah, games – Yeah, well be, well before right. the Seattle game, he was wildly inconsistent. Right, so yes. if this is yep. one or two bad games and then he bounces back, you're like, mm-hmm. okay, he's back on track. But the consistency that we, that I think we saw in the last month or so of last season had really disappeared a lot. And these last two games give you a lot of, of reason for hope, and they also are the reason why you can't judge a quarterback two years in. You can't just say – He's never going to learn it, or he won't do it. Because every time you say that, and you know, three or four years in, you might be able to, but every time two years in, you say, "Well, he's just done. He's cooked." You stand the chance of looking foolish. Yeah, and we we said this before many times on this podcast, but we're both in agreement that you couldn't judge Teddy. Let's say he even struggled through the end of the season, and you're still wondering where you at with this kid. You still couldn't really judge him off year two because of in, in two years because of the different offenses that they've had. This offense changed drastically when Adrian Peterson came back, and they've still tried to find that kind of formula. And it seems like, as Adrian Peterson said after the the loss at Arizona, he felt like they actually found a winning formula, even though that was in a losing effort. And he was referencing the offense and how Teddy Bridgewater was able to let it fly, how he was getting the ball out quicker, the routes, uh, the drops didn't necessitate seven steps every single time, those kind of different things. Let's fast forward to Sunday where, let's be honest, the Chicago Bears sold out to try and stop Adrian Peterson. Chicago's biggest weakness heading into this game was its run defense. They sure. allowed up to five yards of carry. It was something like 4.7 on the season. And you're right, they were a good passing defense. So what they tried to do, and you could tell it right out of the gate, was they tried to load the fronts, give them eight-man looks, and the Vikings ran right into it. They pounded Adrian Peterson, 12 carries for 56 yards in the first half before he left with that ankle injury. They were going to run him right up the gut right where they were trying to stop it, and that didn't matter. But one thing you saw that you haven't seen in the past, especially earlier in games before the clutch situations kind of uh, uh, manifested themselves for Teddy Bridgewater and that sense of urgency was created for him. You are seeing him have that now earlier in these games, specifically in Arizona and Chicago, Mm -hmm. where you saw it today, Teddy Bridgewater, that 15-yard touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs Mm -hmm. was a fade route this offense has tried to throw many times this season, and that was the first time it's actually hit. And we've heard it constantly from the coaches, uh, from Teddy, from North Turner, everybody saying, well, they hit this in practice, they hit this in practice well that's great that's the first time you finally hit it in a game and that's all on Teddy Bridgewater's arm and that's why I give him as you said probably 90% of the credit here because Teddy Bridgewater and the players obviously are going to get most credit and most blame when something fails but Teddy Bridgewater hit that throw and that is something that North Turner has been calling throughout the season and you finally saw him hit that pass and that's all about his touch and consistency with his arm and in this game too Kramer I think for the first time we saw him put together a game where he was still safe with a with a football didn't make any dumb decisions but was effective Mm -hmm. I mean how many times have we seen him throw balls away and fans groan about that but it's better than the alternative of throwing a pick that being said you do say to yourself okay Teddy you got to be able to take some chances here and there the thing I loved about uh, the pass to Diggs the first touchdown pass to Diggs, which came on the Vikings' first drive, by the way. Yeah, they went up 7 nothing. Was also the fact that that was a pass put into perfect position of Diggs was going to catch it or no one was going to. So it wasn't one of these, 
it wasn't one of these Bridgewater drafts back, scrambles, looks for uh, for his tight end in the end zone, and throws an irresponsible pass that gets picked off, which we've seen. That was a pass that was going to be caught by one guy or not caught. And that is, that's where Bridgewater has to become consistently good. He's never going to have a huge arm. And he's not going, and he's not going to be capable of doing things that quarterbacks with huge arms could do. But what he's capable of doing is mixing his, his smart, cautious play with saying, okay, now this chance is worth it. And I could take this chance. And when you see these kind of quarterbacks that have the build of a Teddy Bridgewater, the assumption is is that, well, the only way they're really going to be able to be super effective is by being super accurate. And you, if you just don't have that uh, talented, you know, de- uh, uh, strong, strong arm that you see on a Joe Flacco, a Cutler, Roethlisberger, you have to be able to be really accurate in this league and make the type of anticipation throws where you're throwing guys open. And that's another example of that where Diggs did have a step on his man, but that's a, that's a ball that you're not going to get a leap and grab out of necessarily. Mm-hmm. You have to drop that right in there. Now, Bridgewater did, was asked today, which of your throws impressed you most? And Bridgewater's answers in press conferences are, for the most part, atrocious. But he gave a decent one. He said, he said, actually, if you ask me, my most impressive throw to me was the 34-yard pass down the seam to Mike Wallace, I believe, in the second quarter. Is yep. that right? And he said because it was a perfect, he said a linebacker was on Wallace at the time, I believe. And he, I put it on his back shoulder. And... Basically, his point was, and he's right, that's the type of deep pass because, you know, we're conditioned to think, okay, if you're going to throw deep to Wallace, it's going to be a 52-yard pass that travels 45 yards in the air. Well, that's not going to happen with this guy. So I think in his mind, when they acquired Wallace in the offseason and thought to themselves he's going to provide a deep threat, that 34-yard pass down the seam is what he was expecting from himself, and today he made the pass. Yeah, and honestly, too, when they acquired Mike Wallace, I remember talking with the receivers coach at the time, or it was a couple months afterward, the way they envisioned using Wallace was more of the yards after the catch, and that's something that you're actually seeing this offense now kind of go towards. So when we want to talk about if we're going to talk about how Norv Turner has kind of changed and pivoted here, it really has been mixing more of these shorter kind of concepts in there, the more intermediate stuff, not necessarily uh, drawing in the kind of, and I think a reason why, a reason why perhaps that Arizona, the final play at Arizona drew so much scrutiny was it was kind of that traditional Norv Turner play where it kind of, it took a long time to develop. It had routes coming from the opposite side of the field. It was a seven step drop or excuse me, no, it was out of shotgun. So it was still a longer developing play in terms of the routes being run downfield. Now you're seeing these kind of quicker hits coming out, and when they do have the long shots, you're actually hitting them now. And I think that's part that, that frustrated people when they see, okay, why do you keep kind of doing these long drops and these long route combinations when you're never hitting them? Mm-hmm. This is the reason why, because then when they finally do hit one, you can open up stuff underneath, and you're seeing them now take advantage of the underneath stuff. And with Adrian Peterson in the game, you're seeing them now take advantage of his presence in the passing game where I hadn't seen that before. And it's because Dorf Turner, I think, now is kind of meshing some of the concepts together we saw adrian peterson take a couple shotgun handoffs i've actually seen now them running a lot more three wide receiver sets under center as opposed to in shotgun which caters to kind of both of their strengths and teddy being able to spread it out while he still has to focus on his footwork and the drops he's at least able to have more of his wide receivers out there and spread out the defense and then you put adrian peterson seven yards behind him five seven yards behind him that's where you can kind of mix and kind of bridge the two together and you're seeing some success out of those sets and then obviously teddy's able to find some of his tight ends and find the Zach lines and find those kind of people out of these bigger, heavier formations that Adrian's used to playing out of. Mm-hmm. Altogether, you're seeing this kind of mesh a little bit better now. And I'm not sure it's entirely because of Norv Turner just changing a lot of things. I think it's definitely, too, because of Bridgewater being a lot more comfortable in what they're doing. I think the one surprising thing, perhaps, is this. It's not surprising that it took some time for this to start to mesh, and if indeed that's what we're seeing now in these past two games, it's how long it took. 
Hey, this is Andrew Kramer with the Purple Podcast. I just want to thank you guys for checking us out every week. And if you like the podcast, please go check us out on iTunes. Leave a review. Four or five stars would be appreciated. But if you don't like Derek Wetmore's hot football takes or you think Judd Zolgad's a little too negative, you can go ahead and give us a one-star rating if you feel so inclined. But those reviews are going to help us spread the word of the Purple Podcast, the best Minnesota Vikings analysis in town. Now, back to the podcast. You know, I think we thought I think we thought that it would sort of start to come together in October, for instance. And that's not to say that the offense didn't have its moments, but it was always it always felt to me previous to these past two games that it was either okay, Bridgewater's gonna have some success here or there, or or it more likely it's it's Peterson. He's gonna have the success. And you never felt like it fed off each other. I would say in these last agree, two yeah. games, I think I feel and it's not perfect, but I feel like in these last two games it's feeding off each other, and so it looks It looks like you would have imagined if the Vikings sat down in July before they went to training camp and said, okay, what's our offense going to look like? The last two games, I think, have looked like that. And coincidentally, I guess, it's been in situations where Adrian's been somewhat stymied. He hasn't been running wild right. necessarily. So He got hurt today, so yeah, you're right. And I think that's though that is a product of defenses as they've done the entire year against the Vikings just putting eight in the box, nine in the box just trying to sell out and now you're finally seeing Teddy I think look more comfortable. To me it's always been about the quarterback. I think it's always been about how comfortable is Teddy in this system and maybe now he's just kind of getting more comfortable with those uh, with those drops. I think we are seeing some, sure. some differences in play calling in terms of the quicker routes and the screens and stuff like that But because there was one too, the screen to McKinnon was a, a be- I think it was like a 30-yard pass. It was a beautiful uh, play design, slick play design, where they had two screens on each side of the field, and one was faked right, then the other was faked, uh, and then thrown left to McKinnon. Those are the kind of plays that you're kind of used to seeing where we didn't see that as often earlier in the season. Now that you're seeing those kind of plays, Teddy looks a lot more comfortable. I think he's growing comfortable in those kind of drops and the footwork and getting getting his reads down when he's making those three to five to seven. It did take a lot of time. You're right. But I think all of that is kind of accumulated to what we're seeing now, which Teddy Bridgewater's stats in the last two games, I'll just read them off because they're pretty remarkable. He's 42 of 56 for 576 passing yards, five passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, and no interceptions. So that's six total touchdowns, nearly 600 yards, and only 14 incomplete passes in the last two games. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's really good, especially for a quarterback who a lot of us, myself included, said, look, he's pretty much a game manager. Yep, and there are, I'll say this too, long-term with this team, There's the one thing that really intrigues me is when McKinnon eventually gets used more and more, the combination of him and Bridgewater, there's a fluidity to their the yeah, passing let's... game. I mean, Adrian is, and, and I'm. this is not bashing him because he's had a, a very good year and a nice bounce back year after playing in one game in 2014. But all of that being said, you know, when Adrian, for the most part, catches the ball, for instance, he catches the ball and then he looks to run. When you watch McKinnon catch the ball, it's how, inc- it's incredibly fluid. Yeah, how about that twenty-five yarder? Where was that crossing route? You kind of pinpointed and said, "Look, with Adrian, that's two separate plays where he like catches it and then reacts." Yeah. Jarek was on that crossing route, caught it in motion and stride, and picked up twenty-five yards on third down. Is McKinnon for uh, for the lack of a better comparison, uh, Darren Sproles? 
I mean, because he's got that, you know, shifty ability. He's yeah, not, I think he's, he's not he's a even, big guy, but he's, he's got that ability. Probably a younger, yeah, version of him. Yeah, because right now we see the older version in Philadelphia where he can't really run the ball. Sure. He's only a receiver. But I'm saying previous yeah, to this. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think he he brings that kind of scat back, what they call it, kind of ability where he's more of, he's not a bruiser, but he's definitely going to be able to get in there and be that kind of pass-catching guy. Mm-hmm. And give McKinnon some credit, too. I think he's a lot better in pass protection than even a guy like Peterson is at this point of oh, his career. And McKinnon is severely undersized for yep. being in that role. Uh, I think McKinnon, I think now we saw him kind of burst through here, and McKinnon's always brought that to the table. But since Peterson's come back, I think Jarek has been a little bit, you know, Peterson needs to be in the game, obviously, and, and I sat here and banged the table for him to be on those passing situations because that's how he impacts the game. But Jarek's a great number two for what he does mm-hmm. and the kind of uh, compliment he brings. And the only thing is, is they've had to kind of bring Asiata in on third downs to be that main pass protection guy because of how bad their pass protection is up front. But with McKinnon, I think he could be now a usable uh, a set kind of going in. And I, I wonder, too, why not use multiple back sets at times? I, I don't think we've seen that very often where they've had both of them on the field at the same time. And I don't see it's why a good not. Qu- it's a good question. I guess my question back would be, have they tried it in practice? And, and, and yeah. I'm not joking here. What's Peterson's comfort level with that again? I mean, Peterson, this all comes back to, you know, clearly now if, if you go back to the first game, Kramer, in San Francisco, clearly what the Vikings coaching staff crossed their fingers and hoped for was, okay, we know that Bridgewater is more comfortable at that time from shotgun, so let's just hope to God that Peterson can work from there. And then you just learned he couldn't do and it. And in practice, you think, oh, he looks great, he looks great, yeah. until he never had to break a tackle, so, and then you find Because, I mean, oh. there's been so many ideas about that, that I've brought up since Peterson got here in 2007 about what could you do with him and personnel here and there and here and there. And now I just wonder, simply put, is he comfortable? Because if he's not, it all comes undone. You're right. It's probably that was probably a dumb inquiry because at the same time they do bring what they bring is complimentary, meaning it's not necessarily the same thing with obviously Adrian Peterson and Jarek McKinnon. But McKinnon has four catches. He leads the Vikings with 76 receiving yards. Uh, He showed an elusiveness that I have to kind of guard against praising too much because that Chicago Bears defense, man, they look like they were halfway on the plane to Cabo. Well, I think uh, as we've discussed before, I really think that the NFL is. The A number one sport where you, if you have nothing to play for, you there's a lot of guys it that just check out. Yeah, and, and I, you know, well, the NBA can be like that too. But but, yeah. but in the also NFL, the problem is it's all about tack. I mean, if you're on defense, it's all about tackling, right? And when you've got guys basically being okay, Adrian Peterson's coming at me right now, and he's going really fast, and he's really strong, and this business is going to hurt like decision. hell. Yeah. So yeah, my business decision is going to be. I mean, I'll make it look like I do want, I want to tackle a separated him. shoulder on a right. five and nine team. Right. Yeah. <laughs> do so I Chicago, want a free agent contract? Yeah. Chicago did not look. <laughs> Chicago did. There was a lot of elements I thought of the Bears that looked. How can I put this very kindly? Disinterested in being at TCF Bank Stadium. We had a good line about Alshon Jeffrey. Oh yeah. He's questionable to return because he's at Terminal Two. Terminal Two. He's at Humphrey. <laughs> he's checking his baggage, so he's very. He's going to watch the rest of this game in the Humphrey Terminal Bar. So he's very questionable. Uh, that being said, you know what today did again? The Vikings Bears game again showed us too, though. And this is why this, I've been telling you this. This is why I like the track that Mike Zimmer has this team on. This game today again showed me the Vikings, for the most part, beat teams they should beat. Absolutely. You know, I mean, and Cardinals are tough. Seattle, Seattle is. I mean, we could start off. They played a terrible game against the Seahawks. I'll give you that. But the starting point of that conversation is they're just not as good. Green Bay's. 
I don't think Green Bay is great. The only game they've lost that they should have won was San Francisco. San Francisco, Francisco right. The opener. They beat Absolutely. teams. They beat teams they should beat. I know. And, and, but the counter to that is, well, then they don't beat the good teams or great teams. So then they are who they are, which is just a middling team at this point. But they are, you know, they're, I would call them, as Mike Zimmer would say, I think they're out of the low rent district. I think they are very much one of the middle to top tier teams. They just yeah, are not. They are just not at that next echelon yet, right. which nobody was expecting them to be. Right. Now, a sign that I think showed in this game on Sunday. We'll pivot and talk about the defense, which without Anthony Barr, Harrison Smith, Linval Joseph, you might be thinking, obviously, at the Bears with a, a full complement because Alshon Jeffrey, while he was questionable, was active and played. You thought, okay, the Bears might make this a game uh, on their side of the football. That never happened one bit. The, the Bears did get some things going on offense. They started out with a 35-yard run by Matt Forte, but it was called back by a holding penalty that Sheree Floyd drew, which really was kind of a, uh, a microcosm for how the entire game was going to go. Mm-hmm. The, the defensive line for the Vikings, even without Linval Joseph, who really is their most disruptive and kind of all-around force up there really wreaked havoc on the Bears and Jay Cutler. They sacked him three times on his first eight dropbacks. Overall, the Vikings deflected six passes, sacked him five times. They were harassing a quarterback like I hadn't seen them harass a quarterback since October. Mm-hmm. It's been that long since you've seen him get after a quarterback that much. Lions Chargers, right? Yeah, uh, well, no, that would have been September, but I mean, okay. they got they got after Matthew Stafford in Detroit okay. Uh, okay. in October, and they definitely got after Alex Smith as well. Because that early Kansas portion City. of the schedule, they yeah. really did for oh, a while, was, and, yep. then, and then that came to an end. You're right. Yeah, and it kind of came to an end, and I always pointed to, well, Anthony Barr, they've kind of backed off the blitz because Anthony Barr's broken hand, and they did back off the blitz again today, but you saw Chad Greenway get in the mix there. He had the only sack out of the five that wasn't made by a defensive lineman, meaning those front four, with talking about Sharif Floyd praising Tom Johnson, Tom Johnson has been remarkable at age 31. Uh, now he's already made a, a career-high six starts this season, and that's been with injuries to Sharif Floyd, Linval Joseph. Their depth along that defensive line has really shown through in the last two games. With Daniil Hunter, a third-round pick, being as disruptive as he's been, that's with losing Shamar Steffen, who is supposed to be your backup nose. That's with losing Scott Crichton, who is supposed to be your backup end entering this season. They've been able to still make up for that, including injuries to their starters. They've missed games from Everson, Sharif, Linval, and they've still been able to get it done. And to me, the biggest thing is it shows that this team is well-coached because some of these no-name guys that are becoming names mm-hmm. have been able to get in there and be absolutely disruptive for that group. Defensively, yeah. I mean, this team is, uh, and, and granted, if they're playing a good team without key players, they probably won't win. That being said, I, I think going back, one of the most impressive defensive efforts I saw from the Vikings this year is the Cardinals game. When you go in, when you go into Arizona with your secondary basically decimated like that, and you hold it close, that's impressive. I mean, Mike Zimmer has, as we've talked about before, Kramer, he has a formula on defense that works. Now, are you gonna? Can you take a lot of guys out and beat a good team in the playoffs? Probably not. But can you? I would be. Here's here's one thing. If the Vikings, and I'm not saying that they would win this game because I don't think they would, but if the Vikings played Seattle again in the playoffs, the one thing I'd really be curious to see is what Zimmer would do against the Seahawks offense because I think he'd have a game plan for it. Now, I don't think we should under. This wasn't talked about a lot, and, and I think this actually, in hindsight, probably had a big factor on that game. That was the first time Mike Zimmer had ever faced Russell Wilson. Right. That's not to say Mike Zimmer can't do all the film study in the world and come up with his own tricks to go against him, but when you've never had your defense go up against them, yep. that is something that I think can bring you some surprises anyway in terms of what you have or have not seen from a kid like that. So you're right. If they faced him again in the playoffs, which if the which would only happen if the Vikings won the division and then somehow hosted Seattle, 
if they somehow did that situation, I would be very inter- interested to see what they change. Because what I saw at Mike Zimmer change here on Sunday against the Bears from what they did at Soldier Field uh-huh. was he immediately put Xavier Rhodes to shadow Alshon Jeffrey. They didn't do that at Soldier Field when Alshon right. had 10 catches for 115 yards and a touchdown. So he obviously pivoted from that, figured out, okay, you need to have, just like a Julio Jones, just like a Calvin Johnson, you have to have Xavier Rhodes on that guy. That is one adjustment that stood out to me that really did help limit what the Bears were trying to do because as soon as Xavier went out with that ankle injury or, or whatever it was, a leg knee. injury that he had, knee injury. No, yeah, he, he bashed he bashed either Jeffrey or his safety knee on knee. That's right. So after so he, okay. after he left that, which kind of happened near the goal line, yeah, one did. of the next plays, Jay Cutler found Alshon for a touchdown with Terrence yeah. Newman in coverage. That just shows that when you don't have your lanky corner on him. Now, ideally, down the road, the Vikings are starting Trey Waynes and have two long-arm corners, and you don't have to do that. That's what Mike Zimmer wants to do. Mike Zimmer just wants to play sides. you got whoever's on your but side. But he's willing to adjust. Let's go do it. But he's clearly been able to adjust to his personnel, yes. and that is one perfect example where he's going to put Xavier Rhodes on the top guy, especially when he didn't do it earlier this season. If Zimmer faced Wilson again, the number one thing that I'd be curious to see is what he would do to try and limit Wilson's ability to move. Because I do think he'd have something up his sleeve. I have no idea if it would work or not, but I think I'd be very curious to see what he would draw, what he would try and do to make Wilson as uncomfortable as possible. Because Wilson is, and you don't appreciate this, I don't think Kramer until you you see him play live. He is so good. He is so he moves so easily. Some of those moves he put. I on mean, like Bridgewater the- is Bridgewater is good, but when you watch Bridgewater and Wilson. It, move it looks like two different guys because wilson's so comfortable with either passing on the move or just talking wilson makes bridgewater look like he has cement shoes on yes which he is, absolutely does which is and, and bridgewater's something. nimble yes but, yes and so you're absolutely right i i think too one one interesting thing that i saw and this is actually something the seattle seahawks did against teddy bridgewater the Seahawks gave Teddy Bridgewater some respect when it came when it, when it comes to his ability to get out of the pocket mm-hmm. uh what they did was they had so much confidence in their defensive line is that they would rush three and have perhaps like an end, like a Brian Robinson or somebody kind of come around on the edge and just kind of spy on the pocket and watch for the quarterback and just follow the quarter. He wasn't rushing him. He was just standing there in front of an offensive lineman waiting to see what he would do. Those are the kind of things you do against a nimble quarterback when you have so much faith in your defensive line. That's something I could see the Vikings doing if they're fully healthy up front and have yes. that full complement and have that full confidence All their guys in their, back. Yeah, in their exactly. defensive line. That's a good example of something I could see Zimmer doing. But he did that against Aaron Rodgers as well where you see him kind of it's all about their rush lanes and their rush plans up front where you see him kind of spread that out as opposed to pinching them in those are the kind of different things you do against mobile quarterbacks but i am interested to see if that ever happens however at the road we're on it certainly seems like we might be going to lambeau field or at least seeing a viking packer game in back-to-back weeks which is intriguing and and the thing about green bay is man i mean they've they have one of the elite quarterbacks in this league. There's no question about that. But when you look at Green Bay, they got faults too. I mean, that defense. If if the Vikings, they're a lot like the Vikings. If this s- Vikings offense, yep. if what yep. we've seen these last two games is for real, and Bridgewater's confidence is starting to go up, and they found and they have found a way uh, to best utilize Peterson and most importantly the quarterback, uh, Green Bay can be beaten. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind Chicago just did it on Thanksgiving yeah Green Bay can be beaten in Green Bay and and I really I really go back to the Seattle loss for the Vikings they were just outclassed I mean they played a lousy game but Seattle's just flat out better they are they're more talented more talented you don't match up with them they 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 beat you uh the Green Bay game that started the stretch where what the Vikings went one and three right yes that Green Bay game to me was a game where the Vikings looked like the stage just got too big 
I mean, I, I think that's a game where I really, really, really feel, and I, I think we talked about this at the time, the Vikings beat the Vikings. The Seahawks beat the Vikings. I mean, the Vikings that day did not beat themselves. They stunk, but they yeah, did not beat I, themselves. Yeah, I guess the outclass part to me is a little – I think you're right, though. I think the Vikings, when they faced the Packers on November 22nd here at TCF Bank Stadium, it was very much a they shot themselves in the foot. They undid themselves. There were so many situations where I think the Vikings – and Derek and I talked about this on the midweek podcast of the Purple Podcast. I think the Vikings are a more talented team than the Green Bay Packers, and I think they can win the division. And I think it's because of the talent all around that right now Green Bay does not have. Green Bay is not that talented on defense. I don't believe they're that well coached, even though they are very well coached across the board. I think Mike Zimmer is a better defensive coordinator in terms of running his and calling, oh, yeah, and calling his game plans. I'll take defense, yeah. It's just the Green Bay Packers can win any Sunday, obviously, because they have the best player at the best position, yes. the most important position in, in any sport. Yes. Uh, specifically, though. But, obviously a quarterback in but if you but if you have a, a coordinator or a defensive mind as good as Zimmer for four quarters if you can do something to disrupt that quarterback which is doable I mean it's hard but it's doable that would be the thing that Zimmer does is and and he needs his best personnel to be successful but that being said I think the thing that Zimmer does to offenses opposing offenses he gives the Vikings chances to win starting with game planning on Tuesday. Yeah, he's their own Aaron Rodgers in terms of, like, the, he's always going to give them a chance yeah. to be successful. That defense always has a chance. Yes. They gave up 23 points to the Cardinals without three of their best players. Which and that's is, a good, that's a really good Cardinals offense. And that's, to me, that's the all the credit in the world, obviously, to the players, but to Mike Zimmer for putting together and simplifying a game plan that put those guys in position to not look and not be exposed. Obviously, they were on a couple plays against the Cardinals, but overall, sure. you're absolutely right to limit them the way they limited them. That's why I think this Vikings team now can have a chance to be more than a one-and-done playoff team. But, Judd, I just I think everybody has to hold their breath because this was a Chicago team that I think, like you said, looked very much checked out. And right now, as we saw on yep. that four-game stretch that they just went through where they went one and three and lost to three playoff teams, yep. this team did show, as much as we just got done praising them, that they are very inherently flawed at, at many levels. Well, this is, all, this is all dependent in the playoffs on who you get. It's that simple. I think you can beat the Packers. If you get the Packers or the I don't Se think you're going to beat Seattle. No. But, I mean, this league, the, the thing about it is the Vikings, to their credit, these Vikings beat teams they should beat. The thing about it is, and the, the reason why I like where this team is going is, there's a lot of teams they should beat. This league is not full of very good teams. And so in the unfortunately, it, one of the teams they should beat is going to be hosting a playoff because they'll win the NFC East. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my point is, they won't face them in the playoffs. You, you're exactly right. But I mean, you look at you look at Carolina's having a fantastic yes. season. Arizona, Arizona's having a fantastic season. Seattle's popped up now. I mean, yep. Seattle scares me. I think Seattle's the third best it, team in the conference. If Seattle yep. played um, Carolina right now, I think I would take Seattle. So my point being, there's at least three teams where you look at them and you say the Vikings probably going to beat them. But after that, Packers don't scare you that much. Packers are the only the one that I, I look at as kind of toe-to-toe -to -toe with them in terms of like just Aaron Rodgers is going to outweigh whatever else you're going to try and bring, mm -hmm. but either either team is going to have a chance in that one because to me that what I remember about that Packers loss with the Vikings was the flags and the flags and, and the stuff that you just – that wasn't – that's not who this team is. They're mentally sound. They don't beat themselves. They played a really flawed game. They did. and But then Aaron Rodgers just made the plays that you're used to seeing of Aaron Rodgers, the one where he escapes the pocket and finds James Jones in the corner of the end zone over Terrence Newman. Those are the kind of things where, like, yeah. you, you just shake your head and go, oh, yeah, that just happens. Yep. And so I just think that you're right. I think this Vikings team can – 
go farther, I just wouldn't be surprised if they're kind of that one and done out team. That's not to be this kind of you well, know, but that's also bearer not, of bad news no, or, that's or also, bad omen. Th- but that's also not to say that if that if that happens, that you feel that uh, 2015 was a fluke. I just think this franchise is at a certain point where we all expected them to be in a rebuilding year still. And while they have kind of overachieved, that doesn't that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's just look, temper your expectations. If they were, if their wins were all over the map and they were losing to bad teams, then popping up and they surprised, let's say the Seahawks, and then they went to Atlanta and got beat. I would say, well, that's sort of this is a weird team because we've seen those Vikings teams before. We've seen yes. weird Vikings, inconsistent, and they. I think twenty thirteen was one of those teams. Yeah, yep. the thing, as, as I said, the thing that I like about this team is they're showing a pattern of pattern of what they're about. And if they continue to go up this hill right now in two thousand sixteen, they're going to beat teams like the Seattle's, Carolinas, right? So my point is, you're beating the teams that you should beat right now. Yes, you're losing to teams. There's a group of teams that are better than you, but it's not a huge list, and you're hopefully going up to them instead of saying, oh, man, we beat one of them, and now we just lost to Detroit. So I like where they're going. Do we got more? Do we got uh, Peterson uh, being hurt? Do we want to talk about that? For That's a right. Well, Adrian Peterson did say after the game he was going to uh, get a further evaluation on his injured ankle, but he was able to get back into the game. He just uh, didn't have much to do because the game was out of hand. Yeah, they got him what? He got hurt in the second quarter. They took after him, 12 carries, and he had about six carries after that. Yeah, they took him to yeah. the locker room. He came back out in the third quarter and played, and then I think by the time they got up by, what was it, 21 points, they just said, okay, yeah. that's enough, which is fine with me. I was surprised. I actually thought, because the you never felt that game was Jeopardy today. They did put him back in when it was a two-score game at four. I think it was a fourteen-point. It game. was. And I, I would have put him back in there. I was a little surprised, but yeah. but they were. But but the key thing is they were doing well. This is the same team that put fine. Teddy Bridgewater back in when they were down thirty-eight to nothing or yeah, whatever okay. it was to Seattle. Yeah, that's a good point. And so yeah, I that's just a good point. Got some old school coaches there running the show. And don't forget what this is for Peterson. He has. I want to say, and I I don't know the severity of this. And he certainly, since he got back in, I, I would guess the ankle's fine. Um, few years ago, was it a few years ago that he did miss a couple of games, I want to say, because of a sprained ankle? He twisted his ankle maybe against the Saints, was it, at the Metrodome that he twisted his ankle. And I remember in 2013 but, he was dealing with a lot of different stuff, but, but that was an worse. ankle wasn't it. But that was worse than this. Okay. So No, I think I was covering the team at the time, so this would have been okay. before 2011. So, like, let's say 2010 or so, I think he twisted it. Okay. But I would expect he'll be fine. This guy's dealt with every injury under the sun. Well, he's a running back. They get exactly. They are always, you know, by this point in the season, if you're not hurt, something's wrong. Yep. All right. You got any more for me? Nothing's wrong with us. Although we are a little banged up and How injured. Can you say that? Are you sure of that? Plan hurt, but we're getting it through. I want to thank you guys for checking out the podcast. <laughs> Very tired, Andrew Kramer. At 1500ESPN.com. Please check us out on iTunes, Podcast One, and always check back to the website. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged or Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB J.J. McCarthy makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players, that is, until they don't. When it comes to finger-pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? Because it means more to them, or so they believe. As a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. But leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry, we console our brother, we don't point the finger, we go back to work, 
Back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? Because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. And don't forget BetOnline for NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.